HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by the Academy Opus Cassius, the cheese industry's unique center for professional development. For more information and to apply for courses, visit our website at www.academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. On Cutting the Curd, we have featured several young cheese professionals and students working to better artisan cheese and shine a light on traditional cheese-making techniques. On today's show, we'll be talking to one such student of cheese who has been on a fascinating journey around the world. But first, as a quick public service announcement, the 2017 Lamuse internship application is now open. Want to milk organic Jersey cows in Holland? Witnessed firsthand Lamuse Cheese Shop liaising with Dutch cheese producers? Contact Rachel Jewell at EssexCheese.com. That's Rachel J-U-H-L at EssexCheese.com for application details. The deadline is Halloween. Welcome to Cutting the Curd, everyone. This is Greg Blaze. I'm excited to introduce Linnea Burnham to the show. How are you today, Linnea? I'm great. Cool. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Linnea contacted the show while on a year-long journey around the world studying cheesemaking, or more apt, studying the cheesemakers themselves. She was able to travel as a recipient of the Watson Fellowship. So before we even begin talking about cheese, can you tell us a little bit about your area of study and uh, how you came to be awarded the Watson Fellowship, which I've just learned, I've just learned existed, um, because I don't know anything. Um, and uh, what is the Watson Fellowship? Sure. Well, the Watson is a one-year grant for independent study and travel outside of the U.S. that is awarded uh, in the year following graduation from college. Watson Fellows will conceive original projects and then make them happen. So it's basically a chance to step off of the, the beaten path and fully engage with a project or a passion of personal significance on a global scale. So they gave you a big hunk of money, and you got to travel anywhere you wanted, and uh, and you know, and just and study you know the things that you were interested in, and you chose cheese and cheesemakers. That's amazing. That's, yeah. 
that's exactly it. <laughs> that's really, really cool. Um, you know, I was reading your blog, Journeys of a Cheese Girl, um, at WordPress. Um, yes. And uh, first of all, you're a great writer. Um, your descriptions were amazing. Um, do you plan on continuing to blog now that you're back? Yeah, definitely. I didn't get to blog as much as I'd hoped to during my year because right. sometimes I was traveling in the countryside and didn't even have access to the Internet. But I've got so many stories that I want to tell and haven't shared yet, so definitely. Why did you choose cheese? What made you do that? Mm, yeah, um, this is a great question. It's one I asked myself uh-huh. um, I had countless times as I was traveling and thinking about, you know, why am I doing this? Why did I leave sure. home for 14 months? Um, and I've, I, I still don't fully understand it, actually, but I do have a couple of good reasons. I realized that, well, I can tell you that the first time I made cheese was magical. Sure. That's and amazing. I've never gotten over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was making cheese in France, and I saw my friend add the rennet and start cutting the curd, and it was just an incredible experience. And I have this fascination for how incredible and versatile milk is and how you can transform it into so many different colors and textures and flavors. Flavors, um, and how each country has its own techniques and traditions and identity and stories around cheese. Um, I agree I also, with all that. That's great. Yeah, but I but I also understand better now that from traveling that my passion for cheese is really a passion for home. And my grandfather had uh, Holsteins, and he gave me an interest in dairy farming and in agriculture from a very, very young age. Some of my earliest memories involved helping him feed the cows. And I think cheese is just the most beautiful. It's a connection for me to the land and to him, and also I think it's just cheese is the most beautiful expression of place. I agree with in that. In our world, I agree with that 100%. Um, my my journey um, to cheese began a long, long time ago. I mean, I'm a country boy, but I'm not a farmer. Um, and, uh, you know, I always have those uh, those those moments, those sort of aha moments, you know. Um, and, yeah. and I think that a lot of people who really get into, into cheese have those, and they're not – you think it's one thing, and then it becomes another. Um, where are you at? Where are you from originally? I'm from Thetford, Vermont. Uh-huh. That's a beautiful place. There's a lot of good cheese gets made up there in Vermont. Yes, there is a lot of great cheese. (laughs) That's cool. And, you know, you say that you you had a lot of moments. I think it's, you know, it's interesting to travel. I think that that when you travel, you know, um, um, you know, what you – what what you think it's going to be and what it is sometimes are very different. You get a lot of lonely moments and a lot of uh, it's it's hard. People people have this idea that travel is just all mm. all wonderful, but it's a lot of to and fro and meeting people and uh, <laughs> yeah. um and uh, yeah and it's, and and things like um, and things like that. Yes, very true. Um, one of the rules of the Watson Fellowship is not to go to any country that I've already been to before. Uh-huh. So I was constantly going to new places where I didn't know anybody and always, you know, having to find contacts and make friends and do that repeatedly throughout the year, which was which was wonderful. Um, but, you know, also very challenging. And sometimes I miss seeing familiar faces or, um, <laughs> you know, people who knew me. Cool. But, uh, what did you do to prepare for your trip? Oh, well, um, I chose each country for very specific uh, reasons, and I'd research every place. Um, You know, I went to seven countries. I was in Norway, England, Italy, 
Switzerland, South Africa, Brazil, and Mongolia. So uh-huh. I had researched each country really well, um, but the preparation for my trip, that would change a lot, and it was impossible to really prepare for a full 14-month-long journey ahead of time. So before leaving the U.S., I'd prepared really well for Norway. Yeah. And I figured out my contacts there and made a, actually a map. I had this whole cheese tour planned and <laughs> spent about a week initially at each farm and then would move to a different farm. And it took me everywhere from southern Norway all the way up to the Arctic Circle because I was trying to gain a really broad understanding of dairy and cheese production there. That's really cool. So that was, uh, yeah, it was amazing. Um, and that whole, that first chapter, I guess, of my trip was really well planned. But after that, I, I sort of stopped planning. I had a general idea of what I wanted to do in each place, but I got tired of spending, you know, hours on the computer trying to figure out contacts ahead of time and trying to plan everything out really well because I felt that I was missing out on living in the moment and with the people, the cheesemakers who I was at that, with at that time. Yeah. And so from there, I would, I would, you know, when I arrived in my next country, Italy, I arrived for cheese, which is one of the most amazing cheese oh, events. Oh yeah, bra uh, in the cheese world. is have great. Been there? Oh yeah, I have. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm a veteran <laughs> like, of the bra festival. That's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're if you're looking to uh, to um, you know to immerse yourself or just to blow out cheese, that's the that's the good place for you to go. <laughs> You know, yeah, I what, read about it and was like, I have to. Yeah, be you got to go there. You know? like, and that was kind of when I stopped planning. I just arrived at this festival and let from it there, take you. Hit the ground and said, "All right, I'm going to meet cheesemakers. I'm going to make a yeah. plan, meeting them in person." And that's it's the place to be <laughs> if you want to do that. Um, what career plans do you have um, in cheese uh, after this experience? Oh, career plans. Um, yeah. Well, that's something that I think a lot about, and my. I want more than anything to keep building on the knowledge I gained this year, working with people who can teach me and who inspire me and who share my passion. Um, and I definitely want to keep working in artisan cheese to support the people and the landscapes I fell in love with this year. Yeah, you, so. you mentioned um, uh, your uh, your your cheese this this experience that you had um, in cheese making in in yeah. France. Yeah. Um, and uh, I wanted you to expound on that. Like, I was really interesting. Uh, what, where were you? What were you? What were you making? Oh, what sure. were they making? Um, well, this is actually a while ago. This was um, maybe five years ago. Yeah. And I went to. I lived in France as a Rotary student in high school when I was sixteen. Wow. And that was kind of that took my passion for dairy farming and then opened my eyes to the world of cheese. I was in the Franche Comté. Oh yeah, um, best cheese in the world comes this from there. Amazing place to be. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I learned French and, yeah, fell in love with the country and with cheese. And um, after that, I came back home, and that's I started making cheese in Vermont, um, just, you know, building, always building on this passion. And then in college, I wrote my thesis on late 19th century Comte cheese production. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a fascinating. At the end of the 19th century, there was so much going on. Yeah, um, there was. But that's a whole other conversation. Anyways, that's the <laughs> <laughs> research um, brought me back to the Franche Comté. I received an international research grant and was in the region, you know, doing research in the archives, but trying to balance that with practical experience and meeting with cheesemakers and farmers and, you know, the, the interprofession. Um, and so that's where I got into sort of the making the cheese there and also balancing that with my research. That's great. Did you find yeah. that they were um, they were willing and able to, to help you being this young uh you know, were, were they forthcoming with the info? 
I would say, yeah. Um, I just, I think cheesemakers are great people, and I've always connected really well with with them. But it also, I think it helps a lot to speak both languages, and so I could get there and yeah. really hit the ground running. And um, yeah, I've also found when you share a passion with somebody, it's so much easier to connect with them. Yeah, you already have a lot in common. Absolutely, uh, and those those people, especially in regions uh, in regions like that, where there's a, such a, a history. Um, yeah. And maybe, you know, you, you got a little bit of what you had, you know, you said, you know, something really, really uh, wonderful that, you know, cheese was like coming home. Um, mm, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, those people, um, those people have that, you know, that, that, that same, um, that same sort of light, you know, that they, yeah. that they share with you. That's really cool. Yeah. And it helps to be, I think, traveling alone as well. I made yeah. that made it a lot easier to connect with people. I spent my whole year, you know, I was always with people, but I was traveling alone. And I think yeah. people, you know, saw me 23 years old and they said, oh, we want to take care of you. You know, you need you need a family, you need some people to be looking yeah. out for you. And so it made it a lot easier to connect with people in the way that had I been traveling with, with friends or with somebody else, it would have been, it would have been a completely different experience. Well, you know, there's a, there's a safety in, in numbers when you travel and I've traveled both alone. I have, I mean, my, I've traveled in a different way. I really, I mean, I wish that I had been exploratory enough to find a grant like that when I was, when I was in, um, in college, but the travel, the people you meet on the road, um, are, there's just a different mentality. Um, and it's all almost like, you know, you get tired of your friends when you're traveling with them. You know what I mean? Like they're mm-hmm. all of their annoying foibles come out, but the people <laughs> that you meet on the road that are just sort of doing their thing, like like you, there's like really wonderful camaraderie there. And when you are lonely, which happens in travel, you know what I mean? Those mm-hmm. long journeys, like late night uh, train jags and stuff like that. You get a lot of time to think, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and it's good to, you know, to have those, those people that come, you don't have any baggage with them. You know, they don't know who you are. Um, mm. And uh, and you can kind of be whoever you want, which is pretty cool, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I did have a different, a slightly different, ex- I felt like my experience was sometimes different in that I was almost exclusively in rural places. Yeah. And then sometimes in towns where they never met an American before. Sure. And there's just this strange girl wandering around, you know, looking so what's for this? Like, You're a novelty item. I don't know what to think yeah. of me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas had I been in more urban areas, I would have, it could have been, in some ways, I wondered if it would have been more accommodating in terms, you know, I would have either met other solo travelers who I could have shared a moment with or, you know, just found more sort of like, you know, places that were more used to seeing backpackers coming through. Yeah. Country folks are usually pretty nice in my experience, you know. Yeah, Um, very, (laughs) very true. Yeah. I thought one of the questions I was asked in my interview, the final interview for the Watson was, you know, do you think you can do this? And, and I said, well, no, I really, I don't know. I've never left home before. I've never traveled so far. I've never traveled by myself before. But I know that people who make cheese tend to be really, really good people. Yep. So if that, if that proves true, I know things will be okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going to take a short break. And then when we come back, we're going to speak to you specifically about your trip. Okay. The Academy Opus Cassius is the cheese industry's unique center for professional development, offering both practical and classroom training for cheese professionals ready to move their careers to the next level. 
The Academy is the only professional cheese school integrating hands-on practice, formal instruction, and curriculum-related visits in every course and attracts students from such diverse countries as Australia, Venezuela, Ukraine, Canada, Sweden, and India. The Academy's core courses for cheesemakers, mongers, and affineurs are offered at the Mons facilities in France, at Jasper Hill Farm in Vermont, and at Point Reyes Farmstead Cheese in California. Academy director Sue Sturman also offers insider's tours in New York, London, and Paris, where cheesemongers can meet their international peers and be inspired by new approaches to cheese retailing. For more information and to apply for courses, visit our website at www.academymons.com. That's A-C-A-D-E-M-I-E hyphen M-O-N-S dot com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. Before the break, we were talking to Watson fellow Linnea Burnham about the amazing scholarship, and we learned a little bit about her, uh, which was really cool. Um, and now I'd like to talk to you, Linnea, just about some specifics in your year of traveling. Um, one of the one of the things that struck me, and one of the ways I came to know you, is um, we got an email that you were in um, you were in Mongolia making <laughs> cheese with these folks, listening to our show, and, and I really was like. That's pretty awesome. Um, so um, I'd love for you to talk more about your time in Mongolia and why did you choose Mongolia in the first place and what was that experience like? Yeah. Well, Mongolia, that's a great story. Um, I chose Mongolia because I wanted to see, I wanted to push myself uh-huh. and I wanted to see what cheesemaking was like in a country that had not been industrialized like sure. the rest of the world and that did not have the same modern technologies that we find in Europe and North America uh-huh. and even South America. And how are they, how are they making cheese, you know, without Machines. all these technologies? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. So, um, Right. You asked what was life like in Mongolia. Yeah. And um, I arrived in Mongolia. I didn't have any contacts. I didn't have very much knowledge of the country beyond its dairy production. And I didn't speak a word of the language, but I was really incredibly lucky. Uh-huh. Um, when I arrived in Mongolia, I met a woman through couch surfing okay. who took me in on that first night. And... Um, and she she told me that she had cousins, her cousin's cousins. I explained my project. She actually spoke a little English, which was yeah. a huge plus. And she told me that her cousin's cousins lived in the countryside and that they made cheese. And if I wanted to go spend time with them, I could do that. And when you get an offer like that, yeah, you, gotta take you, don't even, you don't even hesitate. You just say, yes, I'll do it. And so uh, I spent one night at her house, and the next morning her brother picked me up, and he didn't speak English, and uh-huh. we drive two hours into the countryside, and he drops me off at this yurt, and I still okay. don't know where I was. And he's <laughs> like, see ya, here you go. There's your yurt. Two hours out of Ulaanbaatar. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They exchange some words in Mongolian, and then he leaves. And <laughs> there I am with his family about to start my new life in Mongolia. Wow. And life there involved living in a yurt with uh, with his family and yeah. adopting their lifestyle, and it meant milking cows by hand and yeah. collecting manure to heat a fire to make cheese Yummy. and hanging the cheese on the walls of the yurt for it to dry yeah. and sleeping under a giant Mongolian coat to stay warm. It was sure. it was <laughs> changed my world. Well, I'm sure it did. Your perspective must have been uh, different. Like, what was your process of cheese making? What so so you went you went to all these countries that have all these re- deep European roots and cheese making you know and then you go there so what do they what do they do they take the milk from the cow how do they acidify the milk there 
Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, so they use, uh, I think it varies throughout Mongolia. Uh-huh. That was my understanding. Before yeah. leaving, I hired a translator to try and, you know, really answer a lot of these burning questions yeah. I had that gestures just don't always uh, <laughs> No, no, you, you got to have to actually, um, <laughs> yeah, totally. But, uh, but from my experience, you know, observing and actually making cheese with them, they use soured horse milk Ooh. that they save from over wow. a year, and it's in this plastic jug, and it just sits under the bed, and they pull it out, and they pour a couple glugs in, and then the whole thing just coagulates. You do not want to pick that thing up if you're, like, thirsty and, and throw <laughs> that down if you, like, wake up and want a glass of water at night. That... I actually tried it because I was oh, trying really? to understand, like, what is this Yeah, yeah, stuff, yeah. You know? <laughs> I wouldn't recommend trying it no. again, but... <laughs> I had cheese um, from well anyway I'm sorry so so they so they 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 they, they acidify the the cow's milk with some soured horse milk. Yes. Wow. What yeah, what kind of cheese wild. is that? <laughs> so is it just like is it fresh cheese? Then they 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 separate the curds away and then they hang the curds in a bag, you know, in the in to dry. Do you salt them afterwards? What what's going on with that? Oh, yeah, that's really interesting, too. So there's no salt that's used in teeth, wow. which is unusual. I also yeah. saw that in Norway. Um, yeah. But in Mongolia, they will. so we'll take the fresh milk, yeah. we'll heat it over a fire in the center of the yurt, then we'll add the soured horse milk to it, it will curdle, and then we'll separate the curds from the whey, yeah. press the curds lightly, but overnight, and pressing them, it's, you know, this is we're pretty primitive, I guess. You take, like, a jug of water, sure. basically, and just set, it, set it directly on top of the curd, wow. and it's in this little cloth, and you just kind of leave it there. Um, and then the next morning, when it's hard enough to cut, uh, they slice it into these really thin pieces. Yeah. And then we'll take a thread and a needle and thread them like a little gear, you know, like a twinkle light. So yeah, kind of yeah. me of that. And then hang them on the walls of the yurt and it will dry. And when it's dry, they can just collect, you know, scoop them all up, stuff them into bags, and they're ready to, to move with it. What does that smell like? I mean, is that <laughs> like, that's that sounds pretty odiferous. I would imagine. Uh, you know, I guess it is, but I think my, to be honest, my whole sense of smell oh, yeah. kind of like went away in, yeah. the, in the yurt and that we were just Dumps. always, you know, around around the cheese that was hanging and, there, you know, the levels of hygiene in general just are not the same there in terms of, you know, showering and washing things. So I think we probably all smelled like cheese and just got used sure. to it. Sure. I'm sure your <laughs> cheese making, you know, operation was not FDA approved there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think it'd be hard to import <laughs> Mongolian cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had cheese um, uh, way back in the day. Uh, my, uh, some people from the Trace Foundation brought me Tibetan cheese, some yak mm. cheese. And, uh, oh, yeah. I still think I'm trying to get that taste out of my mouth. I, <laughs> I really do. Like the butter and the cheese from there were so animal. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was like, like I grew like. It was like licking the underbelly of the animal. You know what I mean? Yep. It was just like, wow. Like, this is like, I am now, I know what, like, yak sweat tastes like, you know? Yeah, that sounds familiar to me. Yeah. <laughs> Mongolia makes a whole lot of cheese. I think it's so interesting that yeah. they're not really, I don't see, that, see them as being particularly known as a milk country. Right. But they milk sheep and goats and yaks and cows and horses, and they'll make cheese with all of these different types of milk. It's also good. It must be. It must have been good for you to see um, the roots of cheese making for what it 
really exists for to preserve the milk, you know. Um, when we get we we make a lot of cheese here here in America, and and the the, the reasons are are varied. You know what I mean? So we, yeah. you know, but there you see what what it's actually for. You know, and that probably gave you a pretty interesting perspective on cheese making in general. Yeah, absolutely. So many of the histories of history of cheese has been shaped either by industrialization or right. by global markets putting pressures on cheesemakers to change their product and improve and, you know, yeah. so on and so on. But in Mongolia, it really is about survival. Right. And taste isn't very important. Um, no. You know, the cheese gets so hard, I almost broke my tooth on oh, it. Oh, sure. Um, but, yeah, it really is about, you know, preserving milk, at, you know, and that's what it's about. And and that probably, and, that, and you, so you said you were in, in Norway as well, you probably saw, maybe in a more industrialized setting, or I would wager there you saw that same mentality, because they need, they, or the roots might have been the same, you know, mm. now, or is it, or is it just yeah. a... Well, yes and no. Norway's got, and on one hand, Norway is a wealthy country, and they've uh-huh. got lots of modern technologies and uh-huh. lots of high, I saw a lot of, you know, very sort of new um, Super clean facilities. Used, but at and... the same time, they have this, you know, several thousands-year-old tradition of making brunost in the mountains. Right. And, and in some ways, like Mongolians, they are also, I don't want to say nomadic in the sense that they take down their home and they move, but they do move. Some farmers move three times throughout the summer, just moving higher and higher up uh-huh. the mountain to make cheese. So, yeah. like Mongolians who move three or four times throughout the year, there are some interesting parallels. And when I think of Norway, one of the I came up with some key words just in my head to kind of describe countries. And for me, one of the biggest words for Norway was resources, yeah. which is a lot like Mongolia. It's making the history of cheese making can be explained through using resources. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I thought of it just when 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 I think of um, of Scandinavia and Norway, I think of long, dark winter. You know, so mm. so maybe you need you need that of uh, sustenance, um, and you need it to be able to last, right? I mean, I the Norway cheese or the Norwegian cheese that I have the most experience with is the Yetost, You know, oh, yeah, and <laughs> I, I love that. that. I mean, and I don't know if it's actually cheese. It, I, it's more like like a combination of like. Peanut butter and butterscotch candy, <laughs> but but it's um it's that same, uh, you know, like you put that in your bag, and if you're out skiing or you're out like wandering around in some semi arctic place, that's your sustenance, and it's like becomes indestructible, you know. <laughs> yeah, that does sound like Norway, but you know, I in Norway I ended up um, on this quest for reindeer cheese, which oh, yeah. reminds me more of Mongolia. Um, right. When I was, you know, going from farms, I spent most of my time making this yaitost yeah. cheese that you're describing. But then people would occasionally mention back in the day, up in Lapland, they used to make reindeer back cheese. Back in the and, day. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, but it was almost like legend the way d- they described it. And no one could tell me any real answers. Like, are people still making reindeer cheese? Like, what's going on there? And so I just said, like, I've got to find out some answers for myself. Yeah. And I, I got on a plane and I flew up to Alta, which is in yeah. the, it's in Lapland, it's in the Circle. It's known as the City of the Northern Lights. And yeah. I started knocking on doors of reindeer herders and saying, like, can anyone, you know, tell me about this? And I ended up, actually, I didn't find any reindeer cheese in Norway, but I ended up in Sweden. Uh-huh. <laughs> it kind of just happens to you on a Watson. And, um, 
and I found this woman who makes reindeer cheese. She wasn't making it at that time, but we milked reindeer together, and then we went out into the woods, and we started foraging for different um, plants to yeah. coagulate the milk. And, oh, it, wow. and And it was, for her, it was also kind of about survival yeah. and using resources in the way that Mongolia cheese making is also about kind of using what you have and foraging yeah. and just kind of, you know, making cheese because you had to. That's really interesting. That's 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 like that's fantastic stuff. I really I really like that. Um, I, I just think I think you know for someone like me, you know, I'm always trying to dig and dig into to the roots of something, and it seems like you really you really got there. You know, you got out to some outposts of cheese making that people don't often see or even consider. You know, mm. in terms of what of what um, what the trade is or what the the world of of uh, of cheese is, you know, and and can contain. Yeah, well, that was you know the the most incredible thing about the Watson was being my own boss for the whole sure. year. Sure. You know, they give they make the trip possible by funding it, but they we have very little contact throughout the year, and it's up for me to, you know, wake up every morning and say, all right, what am I going to do for my project today? Like, where does my yeah. next question lead me to, and how am I going to make that happen? How am I going to find these answers? Um, which is just an yeah, incredible opportunity. That's a really it's really interesting because you know you go you go to Italy and you see like this sort of cradle of uh, European cheese making there you know like you see um, the big 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 Parmigiano and uh, and uh, pasta filata cheeses and then you know as you spread out into Europe you see the effects of that on European cheese making at large you know mm. right and then and but then you go to these these really out out there places like um like like mongolia or uh, you know the arctic <laughs> and sweden yeah lapland you know that's yeah. really cool what well i think we're kind of i think a lot of countries that make cheese have been sort of overshadowed by europe and they have a lot of interesting and unique traditions and Absolutely. i love that every country has its own techniques and its own cheese that they associate with national identity but they're kind of a lot of a lot of countries have been overlooked i think and it's important to remember that these other cheeses exist and that there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong way to make cheese. I'd always thought you made cheese by heating the milk, adding culture, adding, you know, liquid rennet, powdered culture, and that sort of, that was the right way to do it. Yeah. But there's just so many variables and so many ways to, to make cheese. Yeah. Is there a final project for the Watson? Actually, there isn't, which is another wow. remarkable thing about the fellowship. Um, I gave a final presentation. I was invited. All the fellows get together at a conference at the end of the year, um, with, to, and I gave a presentation there. But they don't ask for any formal research or any formal report of That's any amazing. kind, which is kind of bizarre. But in a, for me, it's in a really good way because I feel even more of a of a, I don't know, I don't want to, like, res not maybe, not responsibility, yeah, but I, I think feel even more like doing something with my year yeah. and, and processing it in some way. And so I'm working on an outline for a book about cheese and travels, and I have all these ideas turning right. in my head. Um, but they don't, they don't ask for anything, but almost because they don't ask, I feel even more like I want to do something. Yeah, just, well, they put know. it on you. They put it on you to, uh, to be an adult and manage your time and, and make the most of what you've been given. But they wouldn't have given you the, they wouldn't have given you the, 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 the fellowship if you weren't that sort of person anyway, I'll wager, you know? I mean, mm, you know, you can, yeah. I mean that's, a, that's a lot. That's a lot to do, you know, and to get out there. I have one more question. So what was the, if you could narrow down, your, what was your, your single most um, 
Not I, I, not eye opening, but like, what, what was your favorite experience? I guess I just said, what what was your favorite place and favorite experience mm-hmm. on the whole trip? If I had to, if I had to, uh, if I had to really put you on the spot, that is a really hard question to answer. Um, so many things come to mind. Well, from... travel is peaks and valleys, and some days are good and some days are bad. But what, yeah. where were you riding the highest of highs during this mm. during this journey? Like because because I on longer journeys that I've been on, there's that you know you you reach that like nirvana of like like this is it. This is why I I put in all this time. <laughs> this is why I got this grant. Like, where was that for you? Oh, um, again, so many ideas come to mind, but here's one. Um, in South Africa, I rented a car, and I drove 3,000 kilometers across the countryside by myself okay. looking for unique and original and truly South African cheeses. Okay. And there was part of the drive was, like, white-knuckled as I'm thinking, like, this is not a good idea. Where the hell and am I going? the drive was like, wow, this is incredible. I yeah. can't believe I can do this. I never yeah. thought I could. And cool. it really reminded me that we're all so much stronger than we think we are. Right on. And at one point on that journey, I met with, this was actually at the end of it, I was coming through Cape Town, and I didn't mention how... I would always balance the countryside with meetings in the city with, you know, dairy, cheese organizations, chefs, retailers, et cetera. And in the city, I met this chef named George Jardine, and it was at the end of my South African trip, uh, road trip. And he said, I asked him about success, and he said, success is knowing how to bring out the best in everybody around you. Absolutely. And that is one of, there's many lessons I learned that year, but that is one that really, really sticks with me. That's so awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on with us today and uh, sharing your experience and your journey. Um, I have a feeling we'll be hearing from you, seeing you, knowing about you in the future. And, um, you know, to rock on. That was a great trip and um, really happy to have talked to you. So thanks a lot. And um, to everybody out there in Cutting the Curd land, stay tuned for more Cutting the Curd. Thanks a lot. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.